Welcome to the Most Accurate Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Smith, and Chris Allen will soon join me once again to break down the week four waiver wire. But before we get to him, let me tell you about this episode's music. It's a track called Asteroid by Carl Hector and the Malcoons. I don't really know much about this band. They weren't recommended to me by anybody. I've never seen them live. I just happened to stumble upon their 2019 album Non-X Orbis on Spotify. Hit me right in the groove bone. I've been hooked ever since. So uh, if you want to hear the full song, check out the T-Map B-Sides playlist on Spotify. It's got uh, this one and all the other music I use on my episodes. This podcast is sponsored by Fantasy Draft, the only rake-free daily fantasy site there is. In week three, they brought us the Hooter main event with $750,000 guaranteed. It was the largest rake-free contest of its kind on the slate. And I'm sure you can expect more of the same from them in week four and beyond. To get in on that action, go to FantasyDraft.com and sign up with the promo code 4 for 4 and you'll get a free 7-day trial membership. Remember, Fantasy Draft is the only DFS site where 100% of entry fees are paid to contest winners. So get in the game with promo code 4 for 4 the number 4, F-O-R, the number 4, and see how great it feels to grind rake-free. And now I'd like to welcome back Chris Allen to the program of 4 for 4 number fire fan tracks at Chris Allen FFWX on Twitter. Chris, this is the waiver show, but I mean, we might as well just cancel everything and you just pay all your fab for Taylor Gabriel, right? Absolutely. I mean, I, I will have to object real quick and let the folks know that, uh, Greg, you made me stop watching uh, Blink-182 in order to come and like do this show with you. And I got I to gotta admit, man, I'm kind of upset. The Genesis Halftime Show is something that I look forward to every week. And I mean, you've ruined it for me, man. Like I was... I was enjoying this game, watching you know Case Keenum get picked off for what the third or fourth time, and uh, and I had my halftime show ready to go, and now I'm doing this. So I mean, but, but, well, that's fine. We'll just get into the waivers, and uh, yeah, Taylor Gabriel, 100% fab. Let's do it. I made sure to fire off some Blink 182 takes before we jumped on the airwaves here. Uh, it's it's dude ranch or nothing for me. And uh, anyway. <laughs> uh, I followed that up. I, I, I had to really resist the temptation to tweet about Travis Barker and the Aquabats. Uh, so that's that's a real deep pull for anybody who's... Oh, I remember with, the Aquabats, I was yes. Say, yeah. the, uh, yeah. the Southern California punk and ska scene. I, uh, I have some, some some deep roots there, unfortunately. Um, and But yeah, man, that Blink-182 performance, uh, I, you say I pulled you away from it. Did you actually watch it? No. <laughs> okay, it wasn't good. You didn't miss anything. Uh, but yeah, okay. we got to talk waivers today. And I'm going to change up the show a little bit. Uh, the last couple episodes... I think we're a little too scatterbrained, and so what I want to do this time around is just go through position by position. Uh, you know, we'll tackle running backs and wide receivers first, then we'll get to quarterbacks, tight ends, and defenses. Uh, but before we do the positions, Chris, I want to talk a little bit of top-level waiver strategy with you. And week four is our first slate with teams on by. We have the Jets and San Francisco taking week four off. It's only two teams. The Jets' offense is completely radioactive, so I don't think there's a huge impact overall here. But what does this kind of early uh, bye week season do to you and your lineups? Like, is there any way you try to exploit that at all? Um, I do. And uh, like, I think the first week, as you just mentioned, with it just being uh, the Jets and uh, who else was it again that's off this week? The 49ers. It's, yeah, Jets and the 49ers off this week. It's not going to be like a massive blow to your teams. I know some folks are relying on Matt Breda. Uh, maybe some folks have been trying to plug in Dante Pettis in order to figure out like when he's going to hit. And of course, George Kittle. So you've got a few players that you might have to try and like work around, uh, but it's not a huge impact. Not like when we get into uh, like week six and seven where we have like you know four or five teams off on by. But at least for for managing my roster, like once we get into this, I instead of just looking at the current week, like where you're, you you're definitely going to be hit by losing some of your players, I start to look ahead. I start to look at, you know, for this week and week four, now I'm starting to look ahead to week five to look at, you know, are there players that I should be trying to acquire now in order to offset some of the losses that I'm, I expect on my bench or in my starting lineup for this week so that I can try and, you know, manage it kind of a week beforehand so I'm not looking at my roster on Tuesday morning and seeing all of those, like, zeros across my uh, across my projected score because everybody's off. I kind of have that in mind before uh, before even the, the week becomes the priority of that particular week so at least that's my general strategy for looking at it just trying to plan ahead or look ahead at least one week in advance so that once those bye weeks do hit you it's not as big of an impact yeah for sure and i think there are other ways tying this back to waivers and free agency that you can game your systems a little bit depending upon where you play i know that on yahoo leagues typically the setup is for players to remain free agents 
until their game starts for the week. And what that means is that if you have a player who is on by in your lineup, uh, that player is going to remain a free agent all the way up until the start of Monday Night Football. And so one thing you can do is on Sunday evening or on Monday morning, you can go look at your free agency pool. You can see players who are still on by. And at that point, maybe you actually go to pick one of those players up while they're still free agents before they go on to waivers, dropping some guy from your bench who you had already planned on cutting during the waiver run. Uh, there are little ways you can kind of manipulate the system to give yourself a better shot at you know getting players. And you know some people might look at that and say, oh, that's underhanded. But I mean, that's the way that these leagues are set up to run. And if you don't take advantage of those little corner cases, then one of your league might mate. One of your league might, wow, that's hard to say. One of your league mates might. And so I think you have to work within the rules of your system. And that, this is one thing that I think on Sunday night, Monday morning, it's worth looking at who's on by right now, you know, looking at those Jets and Niners players and thinking, oh, you know, I'm going to drop player X anyway once waivers run on Tuesday. Why don't I drop them now, pick up the Niners player, the Jets player that I'm interested in, and then, you know, once closer to my waiver deadline on Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever, then I can reevaluate and see if I want to drop that player anyway. Um, do you do anything else like that, Chris? Um, I've tried to do something like that uh, very similar because I do have a few leaks on Yahoo, so I'm right there with you. And if it's possible for you to kind of, you know, like make those little like exploits like within your league based off of the setting, I mean, that's one of the, I guess, main tenets of any fantasy football like, uh, manager. I mean, you have to like read through your settings and not just the settings for your league, but the settings for the site so that if there are little exploits like that that you can do, you can take advantage of it. Right. And if you don't like that stuff, that's fine. Just make sure that you set up your league in a way that it doesn't allow for that stuff to happen. And there are ways to do that. You can have players always be on waivers and you have a waiver on every night or whatever. But uh, as long as that stuff is in place and available to you, I think if you're trying to win your league, you should try to take advantage of that stuff. Now, among your leagues, what is the highest percentage of your FAB, your free agent acquisition budget that you've spent leading into the week four waiver run? Like, are there any leagues where you're just almost completely out at this point? Uh, not yet. I mean, luckily for me, um, I've avoided a lot of the injuries so far, knock on wood. And I've been able to at least uh, like pick up some of the uh, like some of the upcoming players like for fairly cheap. Um, I got I picked up Marquise Brown like off the waiver wire for I would say it was like maybe five or six bucks uh, in one league. Um, and then afterwards, I was able to get uh, like Rex Burkhead, like this uh, this past week when we knew that uh, James White was going to be out, I think I actually picked him up for free off the waiver wire. Um, I was able to scoop him up like before the uh, Sony, like the Sony Michelle owner, like he wasn't interested in it. even the James White guy, like he was just like it. He that was his like RB three or something like that, so he wasn't all too concerned about it. So I was able to kind of sneak a few uh, waiver acquisitions in there, and then after that, I've just been cycling out defenses and kickers as like, as needed. Uh, so most of my free agency acquisition, like most of my fab budget is like largely intact for now. But I'm sure like once we get into the the really hectic bye weeks, that's going to get depleted fairly quickly. Yeah, I've been super aggressive. That tends to be my MO in fantasy leagues. I've spent at least 46% of my budget in pretty much all the leagues I care about. Now, I should admit that all of these except for one of them is Superflex. And of course, the one that isn't Superflex is the one where I've spent the least amount of fab. And I think just based upon the amount of quarterback turnover we've seen, it kind of makes sense to be a little bit more aggressive in these early weeks. It's just, you know, kind of part of the game. And I spent a lot towards Gardner Minshew in a couple spots, uh, towards Mason Rudolph and Teddy Bridgewater and others. Uh, and that's on top of, you know, the other types of pickups you want to make. And I have to qualify this by saying that all of these leagues where I've, you know, spent, you know, 50, 45, 80% of my acquisition budget, all of these allow for free agent pickups, you know, free pickups as well, or $0 bids off waivers. So it's not like mm -hmm. I'm hamstringing myself too much. I can always, you know, pick somebody up off of free agents or, you know, make a $0 bid later in the season if I absolutely need to. So I've, I've felt okay being aggressive like that. But I, it does, you know, concern me a little bit that I've kind of stretched myself so thin so quickly. How do you approach that, Chris, when you get to a point where you are a little thinner with your fab money? Uh, generally, that's when I start looking at uh, trying to be a little bit more, I guess, aggressive with my uh, like with trading. 
I try and like either like reach mm-hmm. out to owners like directly and start to make that like to start to have those interactions where I can start to offset my lack of fab by making sure I can move my assets like through trades. So in some cases, like I've gone to like managers directly and just been like, hey, I mean, like, you know, what do you think about this trade or what do you think about these two pieces or uh, you know, are you willing to, to move a piece like here and there? Uh, so there's always I think there's in some cases like there there's a way that you can offset that just by using the resources that you currently have on hand in order to make sure that you can offset like some of those bye weeks. So that's typically how I've tried to go about doing it. Yeah, I think the other thing to do is to do what you talked about earlier, which is try to look a week ahead and identify, you know, players who are on buy right now that you might be able to get a little bit cheaper off waivers. And then, of course, the other thing you can do is just put in so many claims that it's ridiculous, right? Just a bunch of one and zero dollar bids to make sure that you get something if you need something, whether that's, you know, a tight end to fill in for George Kittle or whatever. Um, Speaking of trades, have you made any trades so far this year? Um, I've been trying to – I tried to uh, buy low on Mike Evans because that was like the, the big thing to do this past week, but I couldn't get anybody to bite. Um, but I was actually uh, able to sell off uh, both uh, Stefan Diggs and Joe Mixon, and uh, in return I got Allen Robinson. Uh, so I think that kind of worked out for me. At least it was one of those like I really kind of wanted to get out from underneath uh, Stefan Diggs because I just didn't really see – uh, myself getting any sort of return on on that particular investment, and Joe Mixon I thought was like on the like on the ledge, and my running back situation was fairly decent, uh, so I was kind of happy with uh, with how that turned out. Uh, but I guess it's it's kind of uh, like doing a trade like this early in the season. It's hard to like really say like who won or who lost. But at least looking at like current value, I thought it was fair enough that I was uh, I was at least happy with being able to make that deal. Yeah, for more Joe Mixon and Stefan Diggs shade, you should check out the episode we did yesterday, the Week Three recap, listeners. Uh, but let's get into the waiver wire. Let's talk running backs first and. I think this week is headlined by two players. Uh, the first is Rex Burkhead, who filled in for James White admirably in week three. James White's going to be coming back here. So I guess that's my first question is, what do we do with Burkhead now? Do we still treat him as that you know high priority of a pickup? Because he seems to be the lead back in that, in that rushing attack in New England. It, it hasn't really been Sonny Michel, but with James White coming back, maybe that makes it a little too cloudy to tell. What do you think? Um, I think so, but I guess my... I'm more, uh, I guess, on the train of thought that Rex Burkhead should be owned, and at the very least, he becomes in like uh, RB3, low end RB2, like or at least within flex consideration, just based off of the. I guess the negativity surrounding Sonia Michelle and his performance so far this year. I mean, we talked about it. We talked about it last night. I mean, lack of usage in the passing game. I mean, he's not really forcing any missed tackles. I mean, even in a game where, I mean, James White was out, I mean, he was still playing second fiddle. I mean, at least on the field and production wise to Rex Burkhead. So I, I guess from, from a production standpoint, I can see Rex Burkhead at least carving out a, a role enough that he maintains, I guess, a weekly floor. I mean, but again, Bellatrix, we could be completely off, but for right now, I think he's somebody you should go after. Well, and he was scoring points before this week when James White and Sonny Michelle were both active. This is something Very true. that's completely new with Rex Burkhead. He probably should have been owned in a lot of spots already, especially if the leagues were deep enough. Uh, So, yeah, I think that he's still worth targeting, even if you do have concerns about James White. Uh, The other running back we have to talk about is Wayne Gallman stepping in for the injured Saquon Barkley. On the show yesterday, we both kind of panned Gallman as an asset to go after, but he's going to get touches. He's going to be the lead back in that backfield, and maybe that team's a little bit more exciting now that they have Daniel Jones. How are you... You know, approaching Gallman on your waiver wires this week. Are you? I mean, I assume you're going to put in some claims for him, but maybe not. He won't. He might not be at the top of your list. Uh, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I think you put it right in that. I mean, I'll definitely be putting in claims for him in, in every league. Uh, but my expectation is that I'm not going to like. I'm not going to overbid for him, right? I'm not going to wind up spending like my very first claim or spending a ton of fab on him. But either way, um, I think with the way that uh, Wayne Gallman has been used in the past, and at least from the way that uh, the Giants' offense has been operating so far this season, I mean, it's not like um, it, I, I don't think that Wayne Gallman is going to be such a drastic drop off. Uh, at least in talent, or at least the way he's going to be used on the field tactically, such that I mean we're going to be com- 
the Giants' offense is going to be completely impacted. I mean, we saw last week, uh, even in his like short, like limited usage, like Wayne Gallman wasn't going to be much of a factor. But they already needed they needed to pass so much in order to catch up in order and one ultimately wind up winning that game. So, but at least I took a quick look uh, at Pro Football Reference to see like how Wayne Gallman has been used. I mean, it looks like he has been used in the passing game in uh, in the past. I, I'm looking. I saw at least in I think it was like 2016, 2017. Uh, he caught maybe like almost between 30 and 40 balls. So it looks like at least from a neutral game script, uh, you know, uh, perspective, he could still catch some of those dump offs that Saquon, Bar- uh, Saquon Barkley was catching. He could still be used as a runner in between the tackles. So at least from a tactical standpoint, from a usage standpoint, I do believe that the Giants can use them, can use Gallman in a similar fashion. Of course, there's a massive difference between their talent, but with them playing the Redskins like next week, I think at least for a, a one-week fill-in and to try and see what we have going forward, it's worth putting in a claim for. So it's really hard to kind of ask these sorts of questions where I say, hey, put a number on it, right? Like what percentage of your fab would you spend? Because every league is going to be a little different. Every team situation is going to be a little different. And we could couch all of these waiver discussions with that sort of argument and wishy-washiness all the time. But in most of your leagues, what do you think – is it going to take to get Gallman and what would you be willing to pay to get him in terms of, you know, percentage of your fab budget? Uh, if it was, if I was the Saquon Barkley owner that just lost uh, Barkley for the next, what, I think they said eight weeks or something like that at a minimum for, for him to be back. Um, either way, I mean, you're probably looking at, uh, if I was the Barkley owner, 15 and 20%, uh, probably at a minimum in order to make sure that I have uh, that volume that I can recoup unless you just drafted three running backs like a right in a row because you had to have spent a, uh, what, top three pick like yeah. on Saquon Barkley. Uh, but if I was, I mean, anybody else in the league, probably between uh, 5 and 10%, uh, maybe to play it as a, to play keep away uh, for whomever else in my league might be hurting at the running back position right now. So I don't know if I necessarily agree with your take that if you're the Barkley owner, you have to spend more on Gallman. Like, I think you want to get a running back to recoup that cost. But if I'm looking at Rex Burkhead and Wayne Gallman and, say, uh, Darrell Williams on my waiver wire, and I if I like Burkhead and Williams more, I'm probably still going to put higher bids on them than I am on Gallman. I mean, wh- what do you think about that? Like, I, I'm kind of putting you on the spot here. I might be calling you out for something that you, you, you might just agree with me anyway. But uh, what do you think about that? I think that's fair. Um, I guess it just depends on how you value their situations going forward, because at least for uh, for Gallman, we can assume that he's going to wind up having the like a greater share of the the running back touches. I mean, even if they wind up bringing in, I, I've heard uh, obviously the rumors are already out about C.J. Anderson, uh, J.H.I. and whomever, whatever veteran sure. they, they might try and bring in. But at least for right now, we can project Gallman to have at least the lion's share of the of the touches with Rex Burkhead and Darrell Williams. We don't know like what their projected volume is going to be. So at least from that standpoint, I would be more apt as the Barkley owner to at least try and recoup at least some like at least uh, a back that might have that uh, similar touch share uh but then at the same time regardless of the situation i mean the chief situation is pro- is definitely better um yeah see the way i the way i look at it is that if i just lost saquon barkley i'm probably s- somewhat screwed in the first place right he was my first overall pick the backbone of my sure. team and i don't know if i'm necessarily going to get back into the mix by picking up wayne gallman because i don't see the upside there whereas with rex burkhead let's say james white gets hurt or let's say sony michelle gets hurt burkhead if he does you know kind of maintain that lead back role for new england or if darrell williams takes over as the lead back in kansas city like you know damian williams is already hurt and lashawn mccoy is dinged up like if darrell williams becomes a starter there that's the best offense of the league i see the upside with those guys that i don't see with gallman and that's generally where i'm going to go if I've just lost my best player. Completely fair. And I think that would be, I guess, the way to kind of swing for the fences and make sure that if not from a projected volume standpoint, from a fantasy projection, uh, fantasy production standpoint, you're able to recoup that loss. And that's really ultimately what you want to try and get as a fantasy manager anyway, right? You want to try and make sure that while you might not get uh, 15 points, uh, out of whomever you wind up picking up, you want to at least try and set yourself up so that that's at least within the range of outcomes. And I do agree that any of those guys that we just discussed probably have that within their range of outcomes more so than Wayne Gallman. So from that standpoint, I agree. Yeah, and it's really tricky too because you never know which one of these running backs or which two or three or however many of them are actually going to come into that upside, that you know additional value based on an injury to a starter or something like that. 
And when mm-hmm. I'm looking at a waiver wire right now, that's really those are really the only options we have at running back. We're looking at Darrell Williams. We're looking at Alexander Madison, Jamal Williams, Jeff Wilson, Justin Jackson, Tony Pollard. And you know, if you want to go deeper, you're looking at Ty Johnson on the Lions, TJ Yeldon on the Bills, maybe even Brian Hill or Kadri Olison for the Falcons now that Edo Smith is concussed. But if, if we look at kind of those higher profile handcuff types, Madison, Jamal Williams, Jeff Wilson, Justin Jackson, Tony Pollard, all these guys are, you know, 20% owned, 30% owned or less. And so there's a reasonable chance you could put in claims for multiple of these guys. How are you prioritizing those backs and which one uh, maybe out of that group do you like the most? I would probably say Madison, but that's really more of a handcuff situation than anything else. Justin Jackson probably has the most value out of all of them like right now, just in the, just in the sense that they're both being used, um, I would say not being used similarly, uh, or at least an equal touch share between Justin Jackson and Austin Eckler. But at least we can see him at least uh, making his way onto the field more so than Alexander Madison, uh, Tony Pollard. I mean, Jeff Wilson is definitely getting all the money touches right now. But at least uh, between the between those two guys, I mean, their their uh, their touch share is fairly is fairly similar. So I would say that uh, Madison, from a deeper standpoint, like if you're uh, looking to start to acquire handcuffs, sure, I would say go ahead and pick him up for those reasons. But yeah, out of those guys, I'd say Justin Jackson probably will give you the quickest return on picking him up right now. Uh, but then the others are more for, yeah, deeper stashes. I think you might be underselling Madison a little bit. He had nine carries in week one, only four in week two, but 12 carries in week three. And we know that they want to run the ball. We know that Dalvin Cook has some injury history. So I think it makes sense for Madison to continue to spell Cook and, you know, heaven forbid Cook actually does get hurt again. Like I would hate to see it because he's been really fun to watch this year. But if Madison becomes the lead back in a run first team with a good offensive line, like this again comes back to upside for me then. And that's why I'd probably rather have Madison over Justin Jackson because I look at Jackson and I see what you're seeing, right? He had uh, going through his weeks, six carries, seven carries, five carries, and he catches the ball a little bit too, which makes a difference. Three, three targets in week one, then one target at week two, four targets in week three. So overall, mm-hmm. their touch shares aren't really all that different. Uh, and so I guess when I'm looking at these guys, like I see the guy who is playing behind a player we know is injury prone with Madison. And with Justin Jackson, I see a player who might eventually lose touches to Melvin Gordon if Melvin Gordon comes back. And I don't know, it's a pretty easy choice for me to go with uh, the Viking there. Um, how, how close is it for you? I'd say it's pretty close, and I do agree that from uh, looking at it from that perspective, that I do think that Alexander Madison does have the greater upside because I think there there are a couple of other things working against Justin Jackson, like you just mentioned, Melvin Gordon. I almost completely forgot about Melvin Gordon at this point because he's more or less dust until we figure out like what his uh, situation is going to turn out to be. But yeah, I do think that that's fair. Uh, but I guess my only question is that I mean, are we seeing more usage of uh, of Madison because the Vikings have been able to put some of their opponents away fairly quickly? And now we're looking at Dalvin Cook being spelled more for load management than them really than the offensive coaches really looking at it and saying, we need to have Madison out there. And that's really my question at this point regarding his usage. Yeah, no, that's a, a very fair counterpoint is that maybe it is just game script. They played Oakland and they played Atlanta in two of those games that were basically cakewalks and in the one game where they were struggling a little bit against Green Bay he only got four carries so you very well might be right about that I just again I I tend to skew towards upside if I'm looking for these types of players because either I already have good starters in there or I just lost a key starter like Barkley and I'm I'm just swinging for the fences like you said earlier Um, Mm -hmm. let's move on to wide receiver and I think at this position, we have to start up top with Mikkel Hardman, who's 49% owned, so he might not be available in, in your league if your league is competitive. Uh, DJ Chark, same story, 41%. And then Philip Dorsett, who you know potentially could be seeing a lot more action if Julian Edelman misses time. He's only at 32% ownership. Uh, the Edelman X-Rays came back negative, so maybe he plays this week, but... I don't know, the way the Patriots are rolling, I wouldn't be surprised if they give Edelman a week off and they you know, start to lean into Dorsett and some of their other playmakers a little bit more. Uh, I'm assuming the way that these guys are owned is probably close to the way you would rank them, Hardman, then Chark, then Dorsett, but uh, tell me if I'm wrong. No, I think you're absolutely right, and it's just for, I think for wide receivers, I think the the process that you outlined for running backs is, the, I mean, is almost dead on. I mean, we want to look for, we want to look for upside, right? And I think Hardman, uh, I mean, catching passes from Patrick Mahomes, I mean, can't really argue with that. 
Philip Dorsett, I mean, being involved with New England, can't really argue with that. And DJ Chark with the way that, I mean, he's now, I mean, I think everybody coming into the season assumed that D.D. Westbrook uh, was going to be like the guy in Jacksonville. I mean, but even still, I mean, DJ Chark has kind of like assumed that role. So, I mean, all of those guys and the way that they're either their offensive situations or how they're being used, I think kind of kind of lead you down that path to ranking them. And I think that's kind of how we have to look at it. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, but I, I'm interested in all three. This is a situation where I might be dropping multiple different players to try to get more than one of these guys because the upside mm-hmm. seems to be there with all of them. Uh, beyond those three, it's a little bit murkier in terms of which wide receivers are which wide receivers we're going to target, uh, which players are standing out to you? Um, as of right now, I would probably say, like, even with their, I believe, so San Francisco has their bye this week, so this might actually be the week that you might try and, like, pick them up and hold them if you have the uh, the roster space in order to do that. But Debo Samuel and Dante Pettis, um, like, no, we, we uh, kind of joked about, like, how the San Francisco and the way that their offense is completely spread out in terms of targets, touches, regardless of what they're, whether they're between the 20s or in the red zone. It's hard for you to discern, like, which week is going to be the Dante Pettis week, the Debo Samuel week, or the Jeff Wilson week, or whatever the case may be. But either of those guys, like, we know that that offense is going to be productive, so I'd want at least grab one if I could. So I think uh, I, any of the San Francisco uh, wide receiver, I think, should be worth uh, a stash on your bench especially since again they're going to be on by this week so i don't think most folks are going to be clamoring uh, to the waiver wire in order to pick them up so now might be the easiest time for you to acquire them at a fairly cheap price yeah i think golden tate fits that bill as well he's still suspended he's at 37 percent ownership but you might be able to sneak him through for cheap this week and kind of buy into that uh, you know the daniel dimes or danny dimes I, I have we settled on daniel or danny in, in the dimes nickname I think it's Danny Dimes. I think that's what everybody's been calling him, Danny Dimes. I'm, I'm just going to call him Dan Dimes. or I mean, <laughs> Just to be contrarian. Yeah, I think we're going to have to mix that up a little bit. Now, if you're trying to take advantage of the injury to T.Y. Hilton on waivers, how are you factoring Deion Kane versus Paris Campbell? Which one of those two do you prefer? Man, I really like Deion Kane coming out uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, but I guess if I have to, I mean, because I'm an Ohio native, should, do I have to say Paris Campbell? You don't I guess have to do anything. Ha- you, you go with your heart here, Chris. <laughs> uh, but I would say that Paris Campbell has looked like fairly decent, like coming out so far. I mean, the I'm excellent route running. I mean, very uh, like very quick, very athletic. Um, I know that's like a poor descriptor for like a wide receiver, but at least from <laughs> a uh, from a route receiving standpoint, and uh, and also his like like. Within the short time, I mean, getting on a decent page like with Jacoby Brissett, like I would take Paris Campbell at this point, but Deion Kane is right behind him for me. Yeah, I think they're really close. I prefer Kane because I'm one of the preeminent Deion Kane truthers, but I like Campbell too. And I, I think ultimately I might just be targeting other players over both of them. One, because it's it's tough to determine which of the two I want. And two, because I think there are some more intriguing guys available. So I'm going to throw a few other names out there. Uh, Preston Williams, only 3% owned. It's crazy how many light ownership wide receivers that are still intriguing are out there. And this just goes to, it speaks to the nature of the position in general. Like any of these guys has upside in any given week, but with Williams Mm -hmm. specifically, 12 targets in week three, he keeps getting used more and more. I think he's officially Miami's number one receiver at this point. And yes, Miami might be bad, but if Miami's bad, that means they're going to be catching up a lot. That's not necessarily a spot where you want the quarterback because it makes the quarterback dangerous to use based on you know interceptions and turnovers. But you can buy into negative game script with receivers like Preston Williams, and so I'm very intrigued by him. I'm still you know ruining the day that I cut him you know after week one to pick up I think Danny Amendola uh, in one of my leagues. It's it still stings, Chris. Right. I, I, I can understand that for sure. Uh, but I guess for, for players like that, I mean, I would say that might be the case for like Deion Kane, Paris Campbell. Like we can understand or we can see the uh, the upside. And that's definitely something that we want to do as, as fantasy managers is we want to try and swing for the fences as much as possible. But at the same time, the lows can be I mean, the I mean, the floor can completely drop out from us because I can totally see another game like where Miami gets gets shut out. Um, and we're kind of look kind of left holding the bag, but at the same time, I mean, it's hard to pass up that level of opportunity, regardless of if it's, uh, you know, if it's Tom Brady throwing somebody the ball or if it's Josh Rosen's throwing somebody the ball. I mean, we have to take that into account in our evaluation. 
Yep. Speaking of boom bust, let's talk about Kenny Stills next. He's at 18% ownership, played 53% of Houston snaps in week three, only 28% of the snaps for Kiki Cutie. It seems like Kenny Stills is the wide receiver three there behind Hopkins and Fuller. Uh, I, I thought he would be owned in more leagues. Wouldn't you think that too? I would have thought so, but I think a lot of folks, uh, I think there are two two narratives, or I guess two things kind of competing, uh, probably holding Kenny Stills back. Uh, one being uh, wide receiver switching teams like late into the season, uh, or late into the preseason, or early into the season, uh, you know, not being able to establish rapport with their with their quarterback. And we've, we've seen that happen in a few cases in the past, so that that could be part of it. And the other part of it being that if we already have established playmakers on the outside and DeAndre Hopkins and Will Fuller, and then we have uh, Kenny Stills in the slot, I mean, who is he going to be taking targets away from? And then also having to, I guess, quote-unquote, compete with Kiki Cutie. Uh, I mean, I don't think it's much of a competition for me personally. I think Kenny Stills is a much better uh, wide receiver than Cutie. Uh, but either way, I mean, they're just all of these things kind of working against uh, Kenny Stills at this point where we already have established playmakers on the outside. We know Deshaun Watson likes to the deep ball. That works for Kenny Stills. But at the same time, it's just how do you parse out on a week-to-week basis if it's going to be uh, how much volume what he what could he possibly have and it looks like he's trending that direction where he could kind of fit into our lineups almost the same way that when he was still in miami i mean we weren't expecting him to be a high volume target when he was in miami we just expected some of those deep passes to turn into touchdowns and so i think that can still happen with uh when now that he's in houston and he has a better quarterback for a deep ball uh for a deep ball thrower in order to do that for him i've been rattling off a lot of names here chris who's another wide receiver you're interested in um, I think the last one uh, that I would be at least somewhat interested in uh, is, is Auden Tate. And again, I'm going to let my Ohio bias uh, show show off for a little bit. But I think with uh, I heard during the broadcast for the uh, Buffalo Cincinnati game uh, that AJ Green, they're expecting him back or he could be back. Uh, I mean, this is all speculation at this nah. point, but he could be back around around week six or week seven. We'll see how that works out. I'll take the over. Either way, I'll probably take the over as well. But either way, I mean, we're still a few weeks out from even seeing A.J. Green hit the practice field. And kind of in his stead, I mean, it's been uh, it's been Tyler Boyd. It's been some Tyler Eifert. Maybe mix in some C.J. Uzuma. I mean, we saw Joe Mixon finally get into the box. And now Auden Tate, he's kind of showing up uh, as that guy that uh, Andy Dalton can hit in, in the middle of the field. And with his size and his strength and like his ability to go up and kind of grab some of those like contested catches, I mean, that's he's kind of turning into what they had hoped in order to take over for that AJ Green role. So he might be somebody that you can pick up. Yeah, this was a great pull for you on the show notes. I hadn't even considered him at all. And then I looked at his week three line, 10 targets, six catches, 88 yards. This Bengals offense is one that wants to throw now. Why shouldn't we invest in this? The defense is bad for all the same reasons that I'm interested in Preston Williams. I should be interested in John Ross, in Tyler Boyd, in Auden Tate. And right now, Auden Tate is completely unknown. 0% ownership in Yahoo. And so I, I love that. I, I love that call. I'm definitely taking the over on AJ Green. I've been kind of fading him all year, like back into the offseason. And I have to stand by that take. And if I'm standing by that take, then Auden Tate has to be on my radar this week. I, I think that was a great call, especially if you're in a deeper league. Um, mm-hmm. A few other names to throw out if you are in those deep leagues. Um Cole Beasley, only 8% owned, could be in for a lot of targets if the Bills are chasing points against New England. Uh, Demir Bird for Arizona, he's clearly the Cardinals' number three receiver behind Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk, available in 99% of Yahoo leagues. Uh, Jakeem Grant, uh, you know, opposite of Preston Wilson. I keep calling him Preston Wilson. Preston Williams in Miami, (laughs) uh, only 2% ownership for Grant, and he seems to be the wide receiver too, or maybe the kind of de facto uh, like possession guy there in Miami. Uh, and then Willie Sneed, Seth Roberts, we talked about them on yesterday's show. If you're really desperate and you want to maybe take a shot on that Baltimore passing offense, you can grab one of them. Uh, Jacoby Myers, if you don't believe in Philip Dorsett, I don't know why you wouldn't, but uh, maybe if you're just buying into the injury risk with Edelman and with Josh Gordon, then Myers might be a player you speculate on. Uh, the last guy I'll throw out is David Moore. Just came back for the Seahawks from injury. Only saw two targets in week three, but I expect that to ramp up as he gets healthier and he faces that really soft Arizona pass defense in week four. So uh, if you're if you're looking for a flyer, you kind of throw in a dart, David Moore, all these other guys kind of fit the bill. Uh, is there anybody I missed? Is there anybody else you want to tout real quick? 
Uh, no, I think we touched on every uh, like all the guys that are possible out there in your league. So if, if you can you know get them fairly cheap, uh, go ahead and try and pick them up. Yeah. So I mean, I guess that's the last question I have for you in terms of wide receiver fab strategy or waiver strategy is what would be your your goal here? Would you be looking to get one of those top three, you know, Hardman, Chark, or Dorsett, or would you be okay, you know, missing out on those guys, maybe putting in a, a bet that or like a bid is lower than you would expect it would take to get that player, and being okay with grabbing Preston Williams, Cole Beasley, Demir Bird? Like, what's your general approach to picking up wide receivers like this? Uh, for wide receivers, I normally go wide receiver heavy in most of my drafts. Uh, so, like, I try and uh, like look for as much upside as possible. And so, for those guys, yeah, I'd be willing to spend a little bit extra on some of those guys because I, I don't have too many Chiefs like on my rosters. Unfortunately, I didn't want to pay up for Damian Williams. I didn't want to pay up for Patrick Mahomes. Uh, I'm, uh, I think I have maybe a share of Travis Kelsey. So, if I can get a handle or at least a part of that offense uh, i'm more than happy to pay for that and the same thing for philip dorsett same thing for dj shark yeah good deal we're gonna talk about tight ends quarterbacks and players to drop next but first let's take a break for the sponsor of the show fantasy draft the only rake-free daily fantasy site in the business gave out a one hundred thousand dollar first place payout for week three in the hooter main event this was the largest and only rake-free contest of its kind, and all told, the Hooter main event gave out $750,000 in prizes, and all those winnings were rake-free. That's right, Fantasy Draft is the only daily fantasy site with no management fees taken out of the prize pools, and this isn't just a limited promotion. 100% of Fantasy Draft's contests are rake-free. Meanwhile, other DFS sites can continue to raise their rakes, they can squeeze prize pools, make it harder for you to win, but at Fantasy Draft, the days of paying up to 16% of your entry fees to the house those are over. Sign up at FantasyDraft.com today with promo code 4 for 4 the number 4, F-O-R, the number 4, and you'll get a free 7-day trial on your first $1,000 of rake-free entry fees. That's FantasyDraft.com with the promo code 4 for 4 just like it's spelled in our website addressed 4, F-O-R, 4. Don't miss your shot at millions of dollars in rake-free contests this season. Start playing at Fantasy Draft today and say goodbye to the rake in DFS. Okay, Chris, tight end time. We have a few intriguing options here. Will Disley, uh, you know, another good week, two weeks in a row for him. I'm always skeptical of the tight ends who put it together two weeks in a row because, I mean, what are the odds they do it again? But with Disley, it seems like he's got that narrow usage tree in Seattle. He's a red zone threat. There are reasons to be excited here, right? I think so. I mean, I guess from a from a talent standpoint, like we saw it happen before he got injured uh, last season, and now with him healthy and back in the offense and integrated into that offense, it looks like he's kind of pick him and Russ are picking up kind of where they left off in 2018. Now, I guess my only concern will be that with the with. David Moore coming back, like how much of those targets like may go to him. But it looks like, I mean, the only thing we really care about when it comes to uh, tight end usage, unless they're Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews, Zach Ertz, George Kittle, those guys that we know are getting used in between the 20s, the only thing we care about are those money touches. We want those touches or those targets within the red zone. If that's Will Disley's calling card, which has seemed to, that's been the case for the past couple of weeks, I, I'll take that guy as a flyer, as a you know, as a streaming tight end, and try and use him, you know, on a maybe as as, as a spot start or like if I'm getting hurt by buys, especially this week with George Kittle being out, it could be somebody that you could use. Yeah, the problem with Disley is that because he blew up last week as well, he's going to be harder to get. He's probably owned in a lot more leagues. So if you're looking for someone who's a little bit more widely available, who are you targeting this week, Chris? Um, I don't mind, uh, and I think you kind of talked me into this because we talked about it to get uh, a bit last night. Uh, Demetrius Harris yeah. like, for for the Browns. I mean, I like he has been one of my dynasty targets for the past like I want to say couple of years now because as he was when he was in Kansas City sitting behind Travis Kelsey, like I just kept looking at uh, some of his like athletic metrics and like his speed score and just his size and all that, and I was like, oh man, if he could really find like a good a good opportunity, a good situation, I think he could like actually pop as a as an NFL tight end. He goes to Cleveland behind David and Joku, but now opportunity presents itself, and we saw it actually come to fruition on Monday night, or no, on Sunday night rather. So I, I think now, like with the opportunity in front of him, and even though the Cleveland offense really looks discombobulated, uh, I do think that at least from an opportunity standpoint, I mean, you could do worse. Like when it comes to picking up Demetrius Harris. Yeah, and the opportunity for him was really large last night even compared to someone like Disley Harris played 90% of Cleveland snaps in week three I think Disley played something between 50 and 60% so Harris is on the field he might not get 
quite as many you know targets or routes run as some of these guys who are a little bit more prominently known as receivers for their teams. And, and there are obviously more weapons with uh, that Browns offense than there are with Disley or alongside Disley in the Seattle offense. But you know if he's going to be on the field, that means that opportunity is definitely going to present itself in certain games. Uh, we'll just have to wait and see how he handles that opportunity. Now, we should also mention your boy Dawson Knox here. Uh, you brought him up yes. on yesterday's show. So I'm going to give you the ball. You run with it. I mean, the only thing that I guess concerns me about Dawson Knox usage is that we didn't see Devin Singletary like in the backfield. And like the, the I guess the, my concern is that like it, or some would some of those dump offs to Dawson Knox be dump offs to Devin Singletary or just with the way that that offense would run? Like, is it I'm not suggesting it's going to be a massive shift because, again, Singletary has only been like in the offense for the you know a few weeks now. But still, like, will Josh Allen be more apt to try and get the rookie in? involved or this singletary involved versus dawson knox and that'd be my only concern so we'll see like as singletary comes back from his hamstring injury like will knox be asked to block more in order to make lanes for the rookie or will he be sent out more like on some of those passing routes because there were a couple of cases i think actually one touchdown pass wound up going right through his hands after he caught a, a lovely ball for a touchdown like earlier in the game so either way I mean, he's definitely learning, obviously learning the position, but being a part of that offense and a large big target for Josh Allen, I mean, you really couldn't ask for, for much more. So I'd say if you have a chance, go ahead and pick him up. Yeah, and he doesn't have those big targets around him in the receiving game like a lot of, I mean, when you look at John Brown, like John Brown isn't necessarily a red zone threat, right? And so right. I think that's definitely, uh, you know, a, a, a box that Dawson Knox checks. And I mean, that's the case with a lot of tight ends. So uh, maybe I shouldn't lean on that as an argument to pick him up, but it does seem like the opportunity is going to be there for him, especially while Tyler Croft is hurt. Uh, but yeah, the Singletary usage will be interesting to see how that eats into the tight end usage. I'll, I'll be curious to find that out as well. A couple other guys we mentioned on yesterday's show, Nick Boyle, Hayden Hurst, the backups to, or not backups, but the, the co-tight ends to Mark Andrews in Baltimore. Mark Andrews is dinged up. These guys were getting more involved last uh, week or, or on Sunday, excuse me, and, and Hayden Hurst did a little bit in week two as well. So Clearly, the Ravens are willing to spread the ball around on offense. So if you're desperate for a tight end, you want to play that touchdown bingo game, uh, Boyle and Hayden Hurst both seem to fit the bill. Uh, I, I do think in general there are too many cooks in Baltimore's receiving kitchen. Uh, we talked about that yesterday. So I wouldn't spend a high claim or a lot of fab to get either one of them. But if you want to throw you know, a zero, zero, one, two dollars bid at one of those two, I, I think that's reasonable. I agree. I think for especially for that position, like knowing what you're kind of getting from them in terms of uh, how many targets and even like your the red zone expectations, it's not somebody or like it's not a position that I'm going to overly invest in. So unless you're like really hurting at the position, uh, let's say, for instance, you wound up uh, unfortunately drafting, I don't know, let's say Trey Burton or somebody along those lines and you're really looking for somebody that can give you a little bit more upside, then maybe I can understand. But again, at best, you're looking at maybe one to two bucks. Let's say you are the George Kittle owner, and Kittle is out on buy. You didn't plan for a backup tight end. You, you just told yourself when you draft a Kittle, I'll figure it out after week three off of waivers. How are you prioritizing Disley versus Demetrius Harris versus Dawson Knox just for week four? Uh, for week four, I'd probably be going – actually, it might be just be in that order, to be quite honest with you. Um, I can see a case for – let's make the assumption of rational coaching in that Buffalo is going to need as many options for Josh Allen as possible next week when they face the Patriots. So if they saw Dawson Knox and his capability as both a blocker and a pass catcher, they might want to get him more involved this week because we can assume that – I mean – the Devin McCourty is probably going to be covering, uh, you know, John Brown, Cole Beasley. It's not going to take much in order to have him bottled up. So it might be that Dawson Knox is going to be the like only other option for uh, for Josh Allen in the passing game. So I can see that at least from a narrative standpoint. But I can understand just based off of what the New England Patriots defense has been able to do so far throughout the season that you might just want to stay away from Buffalo's pass catchers altogether. Yeah, and Disley gets the Arizona defense that has just made every tight end they face look like a Greek god. I think Disley yep. has to be at the top of the list just for that oh, yeah. reason alone. And I still would take Harris over Knox, too. 
Cleveland is playing at Baltimore. Baltimore's offense has been good. Cleveland's been a little shaky. They're probably going to have to pass to keep up with Lamar Jackson and company. I, I think I still want Demetrius Harris, but there is a case for Dawson Knox, like you said. And if you miss out on Harris, if you miss out on Disley, and maybe Disley's not even available, I think that's very likely that, you know, if Dawson Knox is your only fallback, you might still be okay. So uh, don't sweat it. I mean, yeah, it might blow up in your face, but uh, it's fantasy football. That could happen in any given week with any given player. Uh, let's talk about quarterbacks next. And let's treat this as more of like a, yeah, kind of a bi-week fill-in. Like let's say you're a Garoppolo owner or hopefully you're not a Luke Falk owner, but uh, if you're looking for a quarterback to stream off the waiver wire this week, uh, who are a couple of the names that pop out to you, Chris? Uh, first off, and I know he's not on our list here, but just based off his uh, Yahoo ownership, um, if Jacoby Brissett is out there like on your waiver oh, yeah. wire, like he would be like my, my top pickup. He is my top streaming pick uh, for week four. Uh, the, my, my only concern is that, um, the Colts like neutral passing game script has been like one of the lowest in the league. I want to say probably around like 52, 54% somewhere in there. Uh, so even with, uh, and you really just need an opposing offense that can really like push them into a shootout. And we saw that happen, uh, with, um, when Matt Ryan and the Falcons came to town, it really wasn't until, I mean, they did some of their damage in the first half, but once Ryan and, and company tried to start to mount that comeback, they actually pushed Brissett back into, uh, really tried starting to pass the ball a bit more there in the second half. So, I mean, that's that's kind of how the team has been operating. I know that they want to try and make Brissett as comfortable as possible, but still, I mean, my hope is that, at least my thought process is that with now um, Malik Hooker, uh, he's hurt, he's out for a while. Um, I'm not sure about Pierre Desir. Like, I think he was able to finish that game, but he might be a little bit banged up. So it's possible that the Raiders might be able to move the ball a bit more against uh, Indianapolis and hopefully a bit better than they were against uh, who they played this past week. Was it Green Bay? Yeah, they play the Vikings, so obviously the, um, my hope is that they'll be able to move the ball a bit better uh, against uh, the Colts than they were against the Vikings. Either way, I mean, that's really what you want in order to kind of push Brissett into that type of uh, type of matchup, and I think that's possible given the way that, at least for a time, Oakland was able to do that over the first uh, couple of weeks. So that's what you need in order to get there, but either way, I think between uh, let's hope that T.Y. Hilton can play, but either way, I think Brissett's going to be my top streaming option for week four. Yeah, and I think Brissett's probably the safest bet to be someone you'd be willing to start in any given week going forward. And I think that's why he has to be at the top of the list, because you might stream him this week and then still keep using him after that. Beyond that, you're looking at just pure matchup plays for a given week, right? Like uh, Daniel Jones against mm-hmm. Washington this week. He's in a great spot. Like we're seeing Mitchell Trubisky look like a competent quarterback again tonight on Monday Night Football. So mm-hmm. if he can do it, then maybe Daniel Jones can too. I, I am a little skeptical of Jones. You know, just because the hype coming out of this first start of his is going to be so crazy that he—I I don't think there's any way he lives up to it, even against you know a bad team like Washington. But uh, he's got to be at the top of the list. I think Kyle Allen uh, is another guy who you can look at. He's going up against Houston. We talked yesterday uh, about how Houston's secondary just continues to get more and more banged up. It's going to be easy to throw on the Texans, and Kyle Allen's going to be starting yet again in Week Four. How many games do you think he's going to end up starting uh, on the whole in you know uh, instead of Cam? Um, I would probably give it two more, like one to two more games before Cam is back. I'm trying to remember when their bye week is. I don't remember offhand, uh, but it's entirely possible that uh, like Kyle like winds up like kind of holding on to the starting job uh, until like, maybe through their bye, and then after that, then Cam comes back, assuming it's within the next few weeks. But I would give it at least like one to two more games. Week seven by uh, after Houston this week, they get Jacksonville at home in week five, and then they get Tampa Bay at home in week six. I think those are all winnable games with Kyle Allen, so I, I really like that picture you just painted. I think it's it's a very good chance that we're not going to see Cam Newton again until week eight at San Francisco. And even then, you don't know. Like That's one of the things that I'm most intrigued by with this Kyle Allen story is we're hearing all these reports about Newton and the issue being his foot. But this is a player who had the same shoulder injury that Andrew Luck had. A couple of years ago and we saw how long it took for Andrew Luck to get right and in the end he you know I mean it might not have all been that shoulder injury but his whole body never really came back at all and that's why he retired 
with that in mind, like I think we have to have a little bit of extra concern in the back of our minds for Cam Newton. I, I, I hope this isn't the case. I hope we do see him back sooner rather than later because he's one of you know the most fun players to watch in the league. And, but if you're trying to handicap this stuff for fantasy purposes, for betting purposes, I think it might be worth taking the over on whatever the projected games missed is for Cam Newton. Uh, but with that said, I do I do agree that maybe having him come back after the bye week makes sense. Uh, we're just going to have to wait and see how it plays out. A couple other quarterbacks I want to throw out here. Gardner Minshew, he's going to be at Denver this week. I think that's actually a pretty dangerous spot for him. It's tough to go on the road at altitude. I I, I love Minshew. I love the swagger. But I'd be a little hesitant to use him against that defense, despite the fact that I don't think they even have a sack to this point in the season. uh, No, they don't. With Vic Fangio. So, uh, I don't know. They tend to play better at home. I, I Maybe you know the Jacksonville defense will set up Minshew, you know, against Joe Flacco to succeed. Uh, there's some game script stuff that could work in Minshew's favor. That's definitely what happened last Thursday when he played against Tennessee. Uh, what do you think about him in that spot? And would you rather have him or say Teddy Bridgewater against Dallas? Um, I would prefer Teddy Bridgewater uh, in, the, in that particular matchup. Like uh, this between those two cases. One, I mean, uh, they'll be back in the Superdome, so they'll be at home. Uh, but then also, I mean, Dallas, I mean, for, I guess, as great as our offense has been, their defense, like, really hasn't been up to snuff so far. I mean, the uh, it looked like Miami for, I would say, the first, uh, let's say, maybe a quarter, quarter and a half of their game against Miami. I mean, look like Miami, they might have been able to put up some points uh, against Dallas and actually, like, have a lead for the first time that's, uh, in the season. Um, so their, their pass rush hasn't been able to get home as often. Um, and even in their secondary, like, their secondary's lapsed a couple of times. So I think that all the hype around Dak has kind of been the deodorant to cover up the stink <laughs> from their defense. But I would venture to say that the Teddy Bridgewater, like, New Orleans, with as decent as they looked going to Seattle – uh, once they come home and Dallas comes to town, I think that could be a better matchup versus uh, you know looking at Gardner Minshew at, at Denver. I think the only other two players you could consider picking up at quarterback this week who would be you know widely available are Mason Rudolph uh, at home against Cincinnati. I think this is actually a good spot for him to bounce back. Uh, we talked yesterday about how we think the Niners' defense is actually pretty good, and so if you put Rudolph up against the Bengals' defense, he might look a lot better. He'll be at home instead of on the road. I think th- there are some positive signs going for him and, and just the way he kind of improved over the course of that game he started throwing the ball a little deeper as you know that game against San Francisco went on uh, maybe he'll have a little bit more confidence in his second start and because of the matchup I think you can consider him and the other one is Marcus Mariota at Atlanta uh, Keanu Neal is out for the Falcons yet again I do think Ryan Tannehill is lurking uh, you know behind Mariota but we, we mentioned this yesterday too that's a spot where you know maybe Mariota gets there just based on on the matchup alone Here's hoping that he gives Derrick Henry another like 70 yard like screen to the house or something like that, and that's how it winds up working out. But either way, yeah, I think that's the biggest thing that you have to like just to for for due diligence purposes. I mean, with Atlanta's injuries to their to their secondary, I just had to mention it. I mean, it's it's hard for me to envision another a better scenario for Marcus Mariota after he got sacked what, nine times, I thought, like last like last week on Thursday. So if you're expecting a bounce back, this would be the best way to go about doing it, even though they're on the road. Either way, I think that could be a matchup that sets up well for him. The thing that really concerns me is that a lot of those sacks seemed like his fault, not necessarily his line's fault. And that is often a sign of a quarterback who just doesn't have it at the moment. And that's not to say he can't get it back. That's not to say Marcus Mariota wasn't a good player at some point in his career. But right now, he just looks bad. And I, I'm, I'm worried about him. Um, but let's move on to defense and special teams. Throw out a couple teams that you like picking up off the wire to maybe stream this week. Um, if possible, uh, I would say that Pittsburgh, like if you can pick them up, that would be uh, that would be a great defense to kind of stream this week because they, I would assume they're fairly low owned after some of their like poor performances to start the season. If you also want to look at Tennessee's defense, their defense is actually fairly decent, and uh, Matt Ryan has been one to throw. I think he's thrown a pick in every game so far mm-hmm. uh, this season. Uh, so I mean, there's there's always a chance for you need to recoup some points that way. So I think those two defenses kind of stand out stand out to me. I mean, the Colts defense obviously, but with some of their injuries, uh, even playing against uh, Derek Carr, there's always a chance for sacks and turnovers there as well. So at least those three kind of stand out to me. 
Yeah, I think the other directions you can go here are with Kansas City at Detroit. They're only 27% owned. It's just a game script, game script situation with the Chiefs every week. Their offense is so good, it puts the opposing team into predictable offensive scenarios. Matt Stafford's going to have to throw the ball. That opens up the pass switch for Kansas City. It opens up more interception opportunities for them if they return one for a touchdown. You get a big week from your defense. That's what helps you win matchups. Uh, the other one I'm going to throw out here, and this one, I don't feel good about it, but it ties back to those concerns I have about Gardner Minshew are the Broncos playing at home against the Jags. The Broncos are still somehow 35% owned. Like They still have that, I guess, name brand value. Uh, I think we're going to see them get dropped a lot. Uh, and if that's the case, you might not even have to pick them up off waivers. You might get them for free as a free agent. Um, if you want to go really deep, uh, I know Washington has looked real bad against the Bears, but uh, maybe you don't want to buy into the Daniel Jones fanfare quite as much. Uh, you take the Redskins uh, on the road at the Giants. I, I don't love that pick, it, it, <laughs> if, I, if I have to be honest. Uh, and then uh, on the flip side of that matchup, the Giants against Washington, they're only 1% owned. They're either going to be playing against Case Keenum or Dwayne Haskins in his first start. So there's potentially value there uh, just based on the matchup. And then the last one, uh, again, if you want to kind of target these these new starters at quarterback, uh, Cincinnati at Pittsburgh. Cincinnati uh, hasn't been great on defense, but uh, again, matchup, they're only 1% owned if you're really desperate or if you're looking for a complete like uh, budget defense in DFS. I think it's okay to look at these, you know, these bad teams just because you never know. It's they're always one defensive touchdown away from you know making your week, right? Yeah, and I guess from especially for the Cincinnati uh, Pittsburgh game, I mean it's an interdivisional game. They normally play each other like fairly tight. I, it's been a while, but gosh, I'm I'm struggling to remember a time when uh, that game actually like hit the over. So if you're trying to like at least from the sense that you might get a couple of sacks and at the very least I don't think that Pittsburgh is going to completely run away with this game and score and put up like 30 points as if Ben Roethlisberger was playing. So I mean there's a chance that you could wind up, you know, at least not winding up with negative points. So that's at least something to look forward to. Yeah, I think the biggest concern you have to have if you're going to gamble on them is that maybe Pittsburgh can just run all over them with James Conner. Right. True. Like we saw the mm-hmm. Niners kind of run it down their throats and running the ball generally doesn't lead to turnovers the same way the passing does uh, because you're not getting you know, the sacks aren't there. Uh, fumbles are tougher to recover uh, and a little more fluky than interceptions, I feel like. So, yeah, I'm not loving any of these plays. I, I, for the record, all of the teams that Chris mentioned are probably better plays than the ones I mentioned. I just wanted to go a little deeper for the folks. Have to be thorough. That's right. And I, again, it's so hard to know exactly what type of league everyone's playing in uh, and what type of format everyone's playing in. Like, are people listening to this for DFS advice? Probably not. It's a waiver wire show, but you never know. Um, All right, let's wind down with uh, some droppable players. Uh, Don't need to go too deep on here. Uh, Before we, you know, actually name some guys, I want to throw one more little life hack out there for fantasy gamers. Uh, If you're playing on a service like Yahoo that will allow you to not keep a complete roster all the time, you can drop your kicker. You can drop your defense and not pick up another kicker defense. You can speculate on waiver additions at other positions and then fix up your roster with a you know a kicker or a defense after you've gathered more information throughout the week uh, on your position players. So that's one more little trick of the trade. Uh, but let's get to the players themselves. Who are you dropping from your leagues this week, Chris? Uh, unfortunately, uh, Justice Hill. I mean, my this is again yep. my my dynasty mind kind of taking over, and I was looking at all right. Well, it's Mark Ingram. I mean, yeah, he worked well with Camara, but like we haven't seen him be like the guy in a while. So I'm assuming at least a yeah at the very least a sixty forty split. Justin Hill looked he looked great like in the preseason. So and then now. I mean, Mark Ingram is what he's leading the league in rushing touchdowns after doing like after having three yesterday. Uh, also, I think tied for second in terms of opportunities within the ten. So it's like and Justice Hill, he hasn't been hit. Uh, his snap share is down. Uh, touches, I think only like one touch like uh, against Kansas City. Uh, it's it's time to kind of put him back into the player pool and maybe later on in the season the Mark Ingram might wear down. I mean, he's twenty nine, you know, twenty nine years old. It's entirely possible. But for now, I mean, it's not worth holding him on your roster. Yeah, just keep an eye on him. Put him on the watch list or whatever. But I agree. He was at the top of my list. I've been holding him this long. But at this point, there's no real incentive to do so anymore. Like, I figured if he was going to pop and maybe break out a little bit, it would have been against Kansas City where they might want a 
rusher who's a bit more of a receiving threat than Mark Ingram, but we did not see that. It seems like they're content just to run the ball down people's throats with Ingram, with Gus Edwards. Uh, I think there are a lot of other running backs kind of in that same vein, guys who are playing behind other guys, not really getting the touches we want them to see. Duke Johnson comes to mind. Darwin Thompson comes to mind. I was speculating on both those guys in a lot of leagues, but you have to be willing to cut them to pick up some of these other players we've been talking about on the show. Uh, One guy like that I'm not dropping just yet is Damian Harris of the Patriots. Just because Sony Michelle does seem completely untrustworthy at this point. Like, I don't know how healthy he is. Yes, Rex Burkhead is the guy who seems to be the beneficiary now, and James White is still there. But Damian Harris looked good in the preseason. We know he has a high uh, you know, draft capital pedigree. He's a good player in college. So I- I'm still holding out hope for Damian Harris, although surely next week he'll be my new Justice Hill, right? I think so. I mean, but again, it's what... We're looking for upside, though, right? And honestly, I would say that even though the, I mean, unless an injury occurs to Mark Ingram, I mean, are we going to actually see like Justice Hill like really take over a role where he winds up scoring as many touchdowns as we could see Damian Harris scoring? So I think his situation kind of lends itself to having a bit more upside than Justice Hill. So I can understand you wanting to hold on for a little bit longer, and that's in that case. Yep. Uh, any other guys you're going to be cutting from your rosters this week? Um, if you were holding on to Kyle Rudolph, uh, yeah, don't. Adios. Yeah, it's not it's not worth it anymore. I mean, one, I mean, he's not being used all that often, and two, that team is only passing like ten times a game or something like that. So it's not really worth it to you in order to. I mean, any of the tight ends that we discussed earlier, I would much rather have a, take a shot on those guys than Kyle Rudolph at this point. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, you have the third fourth fifth receivers for the cardinals listed here andy isabella Keyshawn johnson is it is worth noting that michael crabtree got released today so Mm -hmm. maybe there's some more targets coming back to isabella and johnson but i do agree at this point demir bird is the clear wide receiver three in that offense and these other guys are cuttable yeah there was some hope that because uh the cardinals were going to be running so many four wide sets that almost anybody could be valuable but it's it's larry fitz it's Christian Kirk, it's Demir Bird, and after that, like it's really not as as fruitful of an offense as we would have hoped to have seen. So those guys again from again my dynasty mind kind of taking over. Loved Andy Isabella coming out, Keyshawn Johnson like flashed towards the end of this uh, end of the off season into preseason, but it's just not working out right now. Well, one last guy I want to throw out here, and I will be dropping this dude from a couple rosters. Apologies to my two QBs partner Sal, but Taysom Hill. You know, I threw the dart and it missed. Uh, He definitely did not get any sort of work as the starter for the Saints. Teddy Bridgewater is the quarterback of New Orleans going forward, and Hill is going to continue to be kind of a special package player. And that's fine. Like, he's he's an exciting player. He's kind of a fun player to root for, but I don't need him on my fantasy teams, and he's going to be dropped from my two QB rosters. Uh, Now, if you're looking at maybe some other rosters, guys who you might not own but you think are cuttable, who might be some surprising players that owners might consider dropping this week? The ancillary players for the uh, for New Orleans. I mean, we talked about it. I think somewhat yesterday that I mean, unless you're really looking at the primary personnel, if you if you don't own Michael Thomas, if you don't own Alvin Kamara, I mean, then really, I mean, what are you really? What's their value at this point? So guys like Latavius Murray, guys like Jared Cook. I mean, we're not really see them being targeted or used as much. It's it's kind of hard for me to justify that like, kind of keeping them, but we'll see after this week. I mean, again, it was off of, uh, I mean, they had a week to try and figure out like going on the road to Seattle, but we don't really know like what their usage is going to be moving forward. So maybe, uh, maybe next week against a much tougher offense, it's kind of, kind of maybe pull them into a shootout. They might get used a bit more, but for right now I can't justify starting them. So if I can't start them uh, at the, at this point, I might be looking up for options on the waiver wire in order to replace them. I think another direction you can look here is at the injured players you might have been holding on to. Now that bye weeks are hitting, you might not have as many options. You might need to fill in for someone like George Kittle or Matt Breda. And to do that, you might need to entertain the idea of cutting someone like Deshaun Jackson or Michael Gallup. I would prefer to hold those guys if I have the bench space. That'd be great. But some rosters are not going to allow for that sort of thing. And I tend to fade injury optimism for the most part. I think that cutting Jackson, cutting Gallup does make some sense in certain situations. Uh, Players like that, I think, can definitely go. Uh, The other player I'll throw out here, and this is kind of tied to what we talked about with Kenny Stills earlier, I think Kiki QT is cuttable. Um, Anybody else for you stand out in in this uh, segment? 
Uh, not really. I mean, the, I know some folks were drafting Dallas Goddard, like kind of on the idea that uh, Philadelphia would be using a lot of two tight end sets. But I mean, even still, I mean, Goddard's been hurt. I mean, hasn't really been contributing. It's been more of like Ertz. It's been, I mean, Jackson and Jeffrey when they've been in, and then Mac Hollins now has been contributing as well. So if you've been holding on to him as either like either a backup tight end, because some folks actually do that, uh, but or even as somebody that you can use in, in spot starts, it's time to cut him. Let's wrap up the show uh, with one kind of final accounting of the best possible waiver pickups this week um, for maybe flex consideration or for owners who simply want to add the most value in a vacuum type players. Who would be your top three waiver targets this week, regardless of the position? Uh, Regardless of position for me, uh, it would probably be uh, Hardman, Shark, and then uh, Burkhead would probably be my top three at this point. So... I think a lot of those those three are probably going to be owned in most leagues, so it does make sense that they're at the top of your list, right? They're the most sought-after commodities already. Give me one or two names that might be a little bit deeper than those. Uh, past them, it would probably be uh, Dorsett, or, uh, Dorsett or Madison at this point. Yeah, so for me, I, I have a similar take. I have Dorsett and Madison, and I have uh, Darrell Williams, uh, assuming he didn't get scooped up after all that. LaShawn McCoy uh, warm-up report nonsense mm-hmm. on Sunday. Uh, and honorable mention to my boy Preston Williams. I, I am very intrigued by him right now. And uh, if I'm not getting one of those high upside rushers, uh, Darrell Williams or Alexander Madison, uh, and I mean Dorsett could very likely be owned in, in a lot of leagues, I'm really trying to go after Preston Williams if I want you know that upside at wide receiver. This is, again, I'm, I'm swinging for the fences here, going all ceiling. Uh, th- those are the types of players I'm looking for. Chris, thank you very much for coming back on the show, second day in a row. Uh, I don't regret missing the second half of that Bears Redskins game whatsoever. Do you? <laughs> Same. Yeah, I, I think uh, from from what I'm at least scanning off of Twitter right now, it went about the same way as the first half. So I don't think we missed all too much. Oh, that's not good. Well, why don't you let the folks know where they can find you? Um, oh yeah. Um, so you can find me on Twitter at Chris Allen FFWX. Um, so let's see. By the time you guys may, might be listening to this, you can go check out my quarterback streaming article over on Four Four Four. That should be out uh, Tuesday afternoon ish. Um, then also I should have a uh, player like players to drop uh, article over on Numberfire that all should, should also be coming out uh, the Tuesday afternoon ish as well. Um, so, but yeah. Need anything else? Come and ask me. Always happy to help looking at rosters, trades, and all that other stuff. So come find me on Twitter. Thanks, Chris. That does it for this installment of The Waiver Show. I appreciate your listeners for tuning in, and I hope you can find some help for your rosters off the wire this week. And if not, you should take Chris's advice and start looking into trades. Uh, if you feel like you need some help figuring out who to target in those trades, 444.com has a trade analyzer and all sorts of other great tools that can help you. If you're interested in subscribing to gain access to those tools, you can use the promo code TMAP, T-M-A-P, to get a 25% discount. Just go to 444.com, click Why Join or Subscribe in the top right corner of the page, and type in that code T-M-A-P to get 25% off whichever subscription fits you best. John and Anthony will be back later this week with their sneaky starts and the like. And I'll be back again next week with another recap and waiver show. So until then, adios, and thank you for listening to the Most Accurate Podcast. Mm-hmm.